Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU 62, Iowa State 14. The Frogs are 12-0 to end the regular season. It is crazy to think that this is where the Frogs are, considering where even our highest expectations back in the late summer and early fall would not even touch the hem of the garment of a 12-0 record, um, being favored, win or lose, by some outlets to make the college football playoff. But we're going to dig into the Iowa State game. We're going to talk a little bit about going forward, Big 12 title game. We're going to do a little banter back and forth on how no one saw this coming. I know some of you claim you saw it coming, but no one saw this coming. And we'll uh, we'll we'll get into what's going on in the recruiting trail because I'm I'm told that a recruiting storm is coming. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy Clark, as always, it is good to have you here, my friend. Let's just start with the basics. This is the game that the Frogs needed, and honestly, we've been waiting for since Oklahoma. Did it feel good to see the Frogs go out there and put up a 48-point victory? Yeah, I'd say. I'd say it was great not having to sit at the edge of your seat the whole game. Um, by the way, happy Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you had a good holiday and uh, feasted well. I know you're weighing about 155 rock-solid muscle right now, so you probably don't eat too much. But people that have seen me know I eat a lot. Well, if people see me at the Big 12 title game, they know I eat a lot too. So I'm right there with you. I had breakfast, second breakfast, first lunch, second lunch, and then three Thanksgiving dinners, all while drinking on my brother's tab at a bar he runs. It was a great, great Thanksgiving. So your brother runs a bar, and we need to know the name of that bar um, before the end of the show. But <laughs> i tell you it what. It is the, the, the Morse Community Cafe in Morse, Iowa, outside of Iowa City. All right, one day, one day, HFB get together. We're going to have one of those one of these days. We always talk about it. But, no, I mean, this this game was, man, I be honest with you, full disclosure, I did not expect this. This is one of those games where I thought, once again, that it was going to be uh, close to the very end, uh, a tight ball game in the fourth quarter. Iowa State had played uh, some really good football. I, I don't care what their record says. They're 4-8. and eight. Yes, records, wins and losses, they matter. Yes, I get that. I understand that. No one has to remind me. But if you look at their scope of work, they had a lot of close losses. It reminds me kind of of 2013 TCU. So many close losses. They had six losses by one score or less. I think three of those were by a field goal, um, less than a field goal. So they were a good team. They had the number one rush defense, the number one pass defense, the number one scoring defense. They had the number one overall defense in the Big 12. And TCU goes out there, let's take away the two pick sixes, and they basically score, what, 48 points? 48 points against the the Cyclones, the best defense um, offensively and defensively. This is a team, Iowa State, despite their overall record, their quarterback, Hunter Deckers, was leading the Big Twelve in passing yards. He was the he he had the only category that Max Duggan is not leading the Big Twelve in passing in, and that was passing yards. Deckers came in leading the conference, and TCU holds him to 106 yards. Even though he got hurt, he still wasn't completing a lot of passes. He was 12 of 24 before he got hurt. Before he got hurt, and man, just quarterbacks, quit coaches, quit running your quarterbacks into the belly of TCU's defense. It's not a good thing. There's there's too many guys that are getting hurt out there, and you, you've got to you got to take care of your players a little bit better. But man, what a what a great day! I mean, just a 
overcast, misty, little bit of rain weather. It's like Iowa State brought the weather down with them from Ames. And I love that kind of weather for a football game. I don't know what it is, but it was funny because the board was talking about it today. Late in the game, you see the sun just bust through the clouds. And there was just a, a beautiful scene of sunshine just glaring over Eamon Carter Stadium. It was it was awesome and just kind of uh kind of a cool thing to see at the at the end of a game and the end of a regular season. You know, it was a great thing to see. You you know as well as I do that I as well as our listeners, I'm I'm a Matt Campbell fanboy. I'm I'm the head of his uh, fan club. I run the Facebook page and we've got a new Twitter account. I love Matt Campbell at tcu.edu. But you know, I had never seen a Matt Campbell team get that get pistol whipped like that. I have never seen a Matt Campbell team uh, give up points like that so freely, let alone, you know, the, the, you know, we got the two pick sixes, but let's not act like uh, the, that was I know turnovers are luck in the sense that they are they're in a sense evenly distributed over time. But but to, but to see them, you know, not only get two interceptions but to get two interceptions run back for a touchdown, that is that's something that doesn't happen against Matt Campbell teams. One of my buddies on our text thread said we finally showbled Matt Campbell, and I, you know, if you're a longtime Frog fan, you you understand what that means. That was just a pistol whipping of what I think is probably the toughest coach and the toughest out in the conference. We, you know, I shared your same anxiety. You know, the Matt Campbell. You know, the Iowa State can be four and seven, facing four and eight, but. That, that that there's nobody that signs up. No one wants to be have Iowa State standing between them in an undefeated season. Matt Campbell is a heck of a coach, and I, I think I think any teams that's passing on him right now are stupid. But anyway, back back to the frogs. That that is the worst last. That is the worst loss that I believe Matt Campbell has had since he's been at Iowa State. But you kind of put that in a bracket that even with the great teams of of 2014, 2015, 2017, all who were in the in the race for the Big 12 title towards the end of the year, the Frogs had never hit a had a season where they beat Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Baylor, West Virginia, and Iowa State all in the same season. There was always someone that tripped us up. Obviously, Baylor in 2014, Oklahoma State in 2015, Iowa State in, in 2017. It's not just losing to, to Oklahoma that's playoff bound. This kind of core of the conference that's still left, I mean, the Frogs ran the table. The Frogs looked great against all of them in different ways. And so I'm, I'm really impressed with, with what this season means in terms of the Big 12 going forward. And to have that, that husk of the conference, that core of the conference, that year in, year out, you know, you got to face Mike Gundy. you got to face Chris Kleiman. you got to you deal with Dave Aranda. you got to deal with Matt Campbell. And even though Neil Brown had a, a rough year at, Oklahoma, at West Virginia, they still beat Oklahoma, and they still beat Oklahoma State. And we hadn't won in Stillwater since. 2014 so th- this is this is a season of, of great accomplishment in terms of what I'm seeing across the rest of the big 12 so uh, you know with, we got well, I got a few other things I want to dig into from the from the game but let me just plant this um, question with you that we're going to get to in a second and then I'll get to the second one we're talking about expectations for the season you know do you, uh, the, my, my question is going to be in a second if you would put truth serum in anybody, do you think anybody saw this coming? Let, let's just get to it now, man. If you put truth serum in anybody, is anybody going to would have seen twelve and zero, especially you or even the coaching staff? Because there's a lot of chirping that says I saw this coming the whole time. Uh, 
I mean, I think there's a belief around the program that you that you have a chance, but I mean, even the players and the coaches have kind of been like, man, we didn't, you know, honestly, we didn't really see this this fast. Um, they had the potential. I mean, there was there was athletes there and everything else, but you're talking to the guy that had them at six and six and eight between six and six and eight and four, and I and I was calling that a successful season. Now, obviously, things changed as more wins came along, but I think anyone that sits there and says that they thought TCU was going to go twelve and zero, and because of what they had coming back, you're lying. Don't lie to your don't lie to the people on our site either. Um, the the people that are diehard fans, you always want your team to go undefeated, and you always think your team's going to go undefeated. But take the purple glasses off for a second. Let's talk about some things. There's been some games where in the past. TCU hasn't won. I mean, if you just look at the the body of work over the last four seasons, and we've talked about this time and time again, Jeff, you go back to 2014, we could see that the potential was there for them to have a really good team because of the, the 2013 season where they lost so many games, just like Iowa State has this year, so many games by few points, one score or less. I think they lost like seven or eight seven or eight games it seemed like every game they lost that year uh was was by a touchdown or less so we knew the talent was there coming back in 2014 this team this team right here has defeated five teams that beat them by two or three scores last year iowa state beat them 48 14 they they clobber knock them 62 to 14 Oklahoma State beat them last year, sixty-three to seventeen. They beat them. Oklahoma, fifty-two to thirty-one. They scored fifty-five on Oklahoma this year. So I don't care how great an analyst you are. No one, no one in their right mind is predicting TCU to go twelve and zero. Maybe after they're nine and zero, you can see things coming for for twelve and zero. But I think if you opened up an envelope and read what your preseason predictions were, you'd probably have. Eight and four, nine and three. Even if you're the biggest diehard, diehard fan, and and that's great. Even ten wins with the bowl win, that that is that was the expectations. I don't think anyone can truthfully say that. Yes, I thought this team was going to go undefeated, unless you are a diehard. Cut me open. I'm bleeding out purple. Wearing purple glasses. Wearing purple wigs. Wearing purple suits. You weren't predicting twelve and zero. I don't care who you are. You could sit there and say you you predicted this. No one did. No 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 experts. No no beat riders. No national experts. No one predicted twelve and zero. And man, I'm glad that I'm glad that I could say they proved me wrong. Um, eight and four, I thought was a was a pretty decent expectation. But you you freaking win the. Regular season, Big 12, you're 12-0, and you're ranked number three, you're going to be number three in the college football playoff. Jeffrey, there are people right now talking about, even if TCU loses next Saturday against Kansas State, that they should still be in the college football playoff. What do you think about that? And first, just give me your expectations first, then you can tell me about that. I thought they could go 8-4. and four. I thought they might be able to steal a game at nine and three, but if you go back and and think about what the conference preseason expectations were that uh, clearly were not met, 
I thought Oklahoma State would be ten and two. I thought Spencer Sanders would have a great season. I thought I thought the Cowboys and they were until they you know got beaten double overtime against TCU. I thought Oklahoma. I thought Venables would reload, and the idea of picking Oklahoma to be you know in the Big Twelve title game is is just second nature until they they're repetitively proven to not be. And I think you know between us friends here, the second best team in the conference is Texas. Now they gave away some games and and we beat them, but I thought Texas would uh, you know kind of round out some of those rough edges and get to where they honestly should have been this year if they could have just you know not given up that big comeback against Tech, not given up that big comeback against uh, Oklahoma State, and therefore I thought the Frogs would be in fourth, you know come in fourth. You know, things go well, they're third, come you know, things break poorly, they're fifth or sixth. But I thought the frogs could go eight and four, nine and three, if we stole a game. So I I you know, the you know, talking about people that say, Oh, I saw this coming or I thought we'd be twelve and oh. You know, I fill out two brackets every year in the NCAA tournament. I fill out one where I pick every single game um as if I were wagering twenty bucks. And then I have another bracket where I always pick the University of Kentucky to win the tournament because I'm a diehard Kentucky basketball fan by birth. And so I have a hunch that anybody on our message board, people that are tweeting me saying I predicted 12-0 the whole time, they predict 12-0 every year. They predicted 12-0 off the Cheez-It Bowl. They predicted 12-0 off of uh, the Gary Patterson firing where we got our butts handed to us two of the last three games of the year against Oklahoma State and against Iowa State. And I'd, I'd, never seen, I'd never seen such lack of effort from a team ever as I did to close out the end of the season in, in 2021. And so I think that there's fans that are just excited about it but and, and want to and say I knew this the whole time. And that's great. That's what fandom is for. But I think we just need to step back and, and acknowledge this is, this is rare air for us. We have never gone twelve and zero as a Power Five team. I, I you know, nobody is going to cheer on the. I think the Rose Bowl team was better than the twenty fourteen team, and I think the twenty fourteen team could have won a national championship. So let me just put that out there on the table. But to go twelve and zero in what is the deepest conference in the country, you know, we don't have a Vanderbilt or a Texas A and M as bottom feeders in our conference. We don't have a Colorado, an Arizona, an Arizona State, a Stanford. We don't have any of those quote unquote bye weeks. And so the frogs do this in the deepest power five conference, and their bye game their their bye week was the third week of the year. The Frogs are about to play their 11th game in a row and 10th straight game against a Power 5 team. You know, I, I don't even have time to count up the bowl teams they have played in, a, in consecutive bowl games that they've played here, bowl teams that they've played here. So I know I'm kind of on a rant here, but this is the best team I've ever seen them put on the field, and that's because of the results that they put on the board. And when you see that the results exceed everything that we've ever witnessed before, that we have to acknowledge that we've never seen anything like this before. And so I've never seen anything like Bazooka. I've never seen anything like blowing the doors off of Oklahoma when they were ranked. I've never seen us go to Texas and put a fight up on the line of scrimmage where they have a notable advantage. And the Frog defense did not blink and held uh held Bijan Robinson to his lowest pro, uh, you know productivity of the year. This is all brand new for the Frogs. And um, 
I'm just delighted to be along for the ride. I didn't see it coming. I thought we'd make whatever is a click below the Alamo Bowl if thing, things break our way. And so this is where, this is where I want to throw it back to you. I know we joke about that Sonny Cumbie has a drawer that he pulls out a sheet of paper every day and says, all right, let's do the opposite of what was kind of dragging us down the last four years. This is more than like everybody's really having a good time at practice. This is just a culture overhaul with the talent that is already present. That's the thing that floors me. This is the talent that's already present. So what do you see that has transformed to get the Frogs to this point? Because I am got to tell you, I did not see this coming. Well, I think when we start talking about the spring and just the way everything was open and changed, and I kept mentioning a lot of things, and I kept talking to players or ex-players or people around the program or people that were just going out to practice. And the one thing that people just kept saying the same thing over and over and over was they were finally having fun. And what happens, and you and I have said this, and we'll have to go back to our archives because I know we've talked about it. When you have fun, it can equal up to wins pretty fast. When you're when you're not walking on eggshells and you're playing loose, good things can happen. And I think that's what's happening right now. Dox gets it. He understands today's players. I mean, plain and simple. He understands what today's players want. He understands what they need, and he understands how to approach them. And that's that's the biggest thing in today's era of college football. I think the the guy that we always talk about and deserves a ton of credit is Kaz Kazadi. Coach Kaz has brought in not only a new strength and physicality to this program, but the mental state, the mentality that they walk around with, and the importance and the accountability – it's it's something that had been lacking, and that's not coming from me. I'm not inside the walls. This is coming from players. And D. Winters has gone on record. Tay Barber's gone on record. Trey Tomlinson's gone on record. Accountability's different. When you have that and you have a desire to be around your teammates and you want to hang out with them around uh, places other than the football offices or the football facilities – you're having fun. You're and, and good things good things happen. And when we talk about the expectations, I mean, no one saw this coming. Because if you saw this coming, you would have to seen the quite possibly almost as almost as important or or, or significant as TCU being twelve and zero. You would have had to have seen a player like Max Duggan coming out of nowhere. We all knew he was a pretty decent quarterback. He won a lot, he won some games for TCU, and we all love him. He's a warrior, warrior mentality. Any one of those players run through a brick wall for him, we've heard it all. And he's just a great, great person. But you would you would have to challenge yourself and admit, did I see Max Duggan having this kind of year? We're talking about not only TCU being 12-0, Jeff, but your quarterback, who wasn't even the starter at the beginning of the year, there's about probably a 90% chance that dude is going to be in New York City. And whether he wins it or not, I'm so stinking proud of that guy. I mean, he he has been tremendous and just a guy that he has proved all the doubters wrong. 
and every week some of the doubters still watch every throw they anticipate a bouncer or a skip thrower and overthrow and they they quickly go to wonder if max is really the guy or what your team is 12 and 0 dude your team is 12 and 0 and your quarterback you need to decide to start riding with them there's a few of you guys on the board that i'm picking on here your quarterback is better than anyone else on the roster and he is the biggest reason that TCU sits where they sit today. One of the biggest reasons. I don't want to say the biggest reason, but he is one of the biggest and main reasons. And not only did you guys not expect 12-0, no one expect, I don't think anyone expected Max to have the kind of year he had this season or he's having this season. You know, let me get a word in on Duggan here. Uh, aside from the fact that he's from Iowa, therefore that's one of the best things he's he's really got going for him. You know, we've said this so many times. We feel like a broken record or we're a podcast on repeat. The dude had heart surgery that could that it had not been addressed could have killed him. He clearly was in an underperforming offense where he was not getting the assistance and assessment that he needed. Then he loses his starting job. And he sticks around. Everything within him, you know, and I, I'm not knocking portal culture because we're the beneficiaries of it in many ways. And, you know, I don't like the idea that a kid has to sign a five-year contract at 17 years old. I'm not a fan of I'm, – I'm, I'm cool with player freedom and, and rights. I really am. But the, the, the trend would be for Max to say, all right, where can I go right now? You know, two weeks before the season, I need, I need to go. He said, no, I'm staying here. I believe in my team, and I want to graduate from TCU. Those are admirable things, and if people make other choices, I really don't judge them for it. But Max stayed, and Max, you know, we've all said this a 100 times. I've said it on this podcast. You tell every second-string player you were one play away from going in there, and what happened is Max Duggan was one play away from putting the team on his back, going 12-0, and and, and getting almost a lock to be in, in, uh, invited to the Heisman ceremony. You know, wh- what we want is Caleb Williams to, like, throw six picks next Friday night in the in the Pac-12 title game, and then Max go out there and light it up against K-State. I, I just – I don't think we appreciate just the, the, the beauty and the wonder of what this is. I don't want to, like, get overly spiritual, but we're not out there grinding it out with, with 17 five-stars. We have a kid that had massive heart surgery that that probably uh, would have transferred without any fault, and he goes in there when he's when when uh, Chandler gets injured, and he and he drug the team to uh, to the Big Twelve title game, and it's some people are already saying a lock for the playoff. I mean, I know we were not able to do our podcast last week, Jeremy, and we we had some issues and uh, we had some off the field issues, as I like to call it. Thanks for sticking with us. But go back to the last two drives against Baylor, Jeremy. Have you ever seen anything like that from a TCU quarterback where he just said, we're not going to lose this game, even after the two-point conversion didn't go? That is a championship quarterback, and every person listening to this show needs to needs to recognize what, 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 a, what, a, what a beautiful mystery it is that Max Duggan is going to have a chance to lead TCU to the playoff and it is in a fight for the Heisman uh, Trophy. He goes seven of nine those last two drives. He has no Kendra Miller. He has no Quentin Johnston. He has no Darius Davis. He goes seven of nine, two great runs, and looked about as poised as you could ever see a quarterback look. Kid doesn't look nervous anymore. He's still making great decisions. I mean, 
where we'll talk about last night for a second. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Those passes he threw to Spivey and Hudson were two of the best passes I've ever seen a TCU quarterback make. I literally, when he threw that ball to Spivey, I made a joke, like a NCAA football joke, all you guys that play the video game, where the ball would go completely through a defensive back and the receiver caught it somehow. I was like making a joke. Did that just go completely through the Iowa State defensive back? Because I don't know how the heck he got that ball to Spivey. And it was the same thing for Jordan Hudson, that touchdown pass to him. Those were two of the better passes I've seen him make – or. Not only seen him make two of the better passes I've ever seen a TCU quarterback in general make. Uh, he's it's it just the way he's playing with so much con- so much confidence right now is man. As a TCU fan, you've got to be hyped for that. And even if you even if you like to do shtick and say Max isn't the guy or Max needs to do better at this, you've got to admire those two passes alone because those were two NFL type throws. Maybe not even NFL type throws. Maybe like NFL Probo type throws. I mean, that was those were two of the better passes. I I can't talk about it enough um, that I've ever seen personally. And I've been covering the team since '05. I've seen Trey Boykin throw. I've seen Jeff Ballard throw. I've seen Andy Dalton throw. I've seen Bram Kohlhausen throw. I've seen a lot of good quarterbacks come through this system. Casey Paul Hall had a big arm. I don't think I've ever seen any of those guys make two throws like that basically within minutes of each other and those were just two two huge passes and I asked him about it after the game man are you just playing with more confidence and he said he he just he always gives it up to his teammates he's like oh they make good catches he never talks about himself if I get get to go to New York City it's because I've got good teammates that support me and they've made me look good that's the mentality that dude has Well, you mentioned a couple guys that I wanted to center on here for a second. Let, let's, you know, the Frogs had a lot of guys on the field uh, Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, and it, and it wasn't just garbage time. You know, it wasn't just the guy that goes trotting out there that you're like, I looked at him for half a second. He's clearly a walk-on seeing the field for the first time. But you know, I, I look at Trent Battle, Amani Bailey, Jordan Hudson, Savian Williams. You know what all of those guys have in common? They're contributors, and they've got a bunch of years in front of them. And so, you know, just pick a couple of things that you want to say about a couple of those guys. Trent Battle, Imani Bailey, Jordan Hudson, Savion Williams. The the Frog future is bright for the future, but I think these are weapons that that I think are going to be deployed in what could potentially be the next two to three games. And I, I feel really good about, you know, Kendra gets hurt, Bailey comes in, Trent Battle comes in, Savion Williams steps up when when uh, QJ can't play. It, Jordan Hudson, those are not the first multiple touchdown games he's going to have at Eamon Carter Stadium. I was delighted to see all of those future and current weapons deployed on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you have no QJ and you still score 48 points on offense and you distribute the ball to 11 different guys, <laughs> 11 different receivers that had catches last night. But Savion, man... I, I really like how he's stepping up. I mean, we all knew that he had potential. Him and Quincy Brown just bring another element to the game like Quentin does. They're both tall, uh, fast receivers. And, and, and Savion has really become a guy that Max is starting to trust a lot more. If it's, if it's one-on-one, he's throwing it up. And Savion has shown in the last few games that 
there's a pretty good chance that he's going to come down with that thing. He's got great leaping ability. He's got very strong hands. If you ever watch that guy block, watch his hands. I mean, he he is putting a hurting on any defensive back that he's blocking. And that I think it really helps him when he goes up and goes for those 50-50 balls. He comes down with them. But he's he's a he's a tough receiver, obviously a great compliment to Quentin on the other side. Quentin's at X and, and Savion's at Z, but Jordan Hudson, I mean, we this is this is what we expected when when TC was able to land him. I mean, he's a top ten receiver in the nation. When he went down to that All American game for Under Armour and just stole the show. He was he was the best receiver down there, and everyone was talking about it. And you're right, Jeff. He's gonna he's gonna have a lot of touchdowns in his career at TCU, and that's not gonna be the only game. He'll have multiple touchdowns at Amon Carter Stadium. He's he's gonna be a a just a big time mess for defensive coordinators to have to deal with um, because he's he's got very deceptive speed he's got great route running he's got great hands and he's a true freshman so deal with that for the next three years big 12 but i other guys i mean this the 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 running backs trent battle i mean this is a guy it's funny because we talked to anthony jones in in fall camp and Trent was kind of a guy we didn't know what to expect. He comes in at quarterback, but we all knew he was a really good athlete. He's a really good athlete at, at, in high school at Daphne, Alabama. Got dealt to play quarterback because guess what? Teams like that usually have their best athletes playing quarterback. So I don't think he ever really was a quarterback, but, man, he's just a really good athlete. And they toyed with putting him at running back last year, and he still he wasn't solidified at wanting to play that position. So he has to come back, and then, lo and behold, he goes back. And he's he's one of those guys, Jeff, very easily, very easily that could have entered the transfer portal, gone back home, and, and probably played quarterback at another program like South Alabama where he's you know close to over there in Mobile. But it, when we talked to Anthony Jones, Anthony had, had said something about him. He said he doesn't know how good he's going to be don't tell him that I said that, though. I, he was very high on Trent Battle early on in, in fall camp. And we could see we could see glimpses of that, too. He was really becoming a guy that was having some good runs, versatile and catching the ball, which we've all seen that now. He's developing more into a blocker. He's got great size. I mean, he is a he's a really good-sized kid. He's 6'1", probably about at least 215. So, and he's just one of the most likable kids on the team. I mean, I think anytime we interview that kid, uh, he's he's been really open. He's just real charismatic, and I man, I root for that kid because I I think he's he's the persona of uh, why this team is good right now. Because you you have guys that are going out just doing what they're asked to do, just doing their job, and he's a guy that's going to get you know anywhere from five to ten snaps a game. But every time he's in there, there's something meaningful. He he had a good game against Baylor. He had a a good catch the other night, big big uh, third down conversion the other night, and uh, I, I think he's only going to get better. I think as he matures, they're going to keep uh, giving him more of a role. I don't think we'll see that. He was a guy that I mean, we talk about expectations. He's a guy that clearly has exceeded mine because I didn't think he was going to really start seeing significant time till he was about a junior. And uh, here he is, a redshirt freshman, and and people are starting to know who number seventeen is. And 
we'll probably get to see a lot of 17 this Saturday and, and hopefully in the next, next few weeks, however long they get to play. You know, how big are Bailey's thighs? I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking that in, in an awkward way. That dude has tree trunks for legs. And, you know, I know he got in there. I, th- I thought he scored a touchdown. Let me just get that clear. I thought he scored a touchdown. But, my goodness, I think Bailey is an amazing complimentary back. You know, and we talked about how the, the transfer, transfer portal giveth and taketh away. You know, he came up from Louisiana. He'd played in a winning culture with, uh, you know, it, 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 with Napier at, at Louisiana Lafayette. And I just feel like that he is one of these contributors that, it, you know, obviously is not going to be invited to New York. But I think he's got a couple more years coating the rock for the Frogs. And I'll be really curious to see what where, where he kind of falls into the into the stat line over the next couple of years. Because I think he's a... I think he's got the potential to be an every down back, even though the running back room is so deep that he will not be required to be an every down back. What's your assessment of Bailey up to this point? That was another great addition from the portal. I mean, it, it was fun watching him uh, against Iowa State because you could tell that kid wanted to be in the end zone. And I thought he got robbed on one of those plays. I thought he was – He did get robbed. I just want to go on the record. <laughs> well, it was clearly they, they reviewed it. And you could clearly see, even when his elbow hit the ground, that the ball was crossing the plane. And I even made a comment, oh, they're going to review it. We see it on the big board here. There's no way they're going to say this isn't a touchdown. And I forget we got to watch the Big 12 refs, so I, I, I shouldn't make stupid comments like that. But um, when he got in late in the game, I, I, I thought he was running great. I mean, he, he explodes to the hole. I mean, he's – He's quick, uh, and he's another guy that we saw flashes the flashes of this in fall camp. He he's very versatile. He he can catch the ball. He can run in space. He's a great perimeter guy, uh, and obviously he showed last night that he can run between the tackles. He's he's going to hit he's going to hit that hole going 100 miles an hour, and and uh, I I think he's going to be a, a big addition for them over the next couple years because we don't know what Kendra Miller's going to do. Kendra is continually continually impressing NFL scouts every week. That 25-yard run he had the other day, I mean, my gosh. I mean, he just kept spinning off guys, breaking tackles, and he's going to continue to go up these draft boards. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Kendra, but if you're a running back and you know the, the time in the NFL isn't for a long time, you you got to start you got to start looking and and if he's if he's going to be one of those guys that's going to have the potential to get drafted in the second round or maybe even late first round then you start you you kind of got to start looking at what you have in the running back room for next year and and I think Imani Bailey is going to be one of those key guys You know, one more guy I wanted to highlight is is Anthony Jones. You mentioned him, the new the new running backs coach uh, at, at TCU. You know, as I've said a couple times on the show, he came from uh, University of Memphis. Before that, he kind of came up the Joey McGuire way. He was a, a, a head coach that had unparalleled su- success out in the suburbs. And, and honestly, it's a suburb that's a lot like Cedar Hill. It's 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 diverse. It's got some money, and he figured out how to uh, to to put that all together for a winning formula. Anthony Jones, you've already kind of highlighted him, but I I don't think you can say enough about what he's brought to the running back room. And I and I don't want to turn this episode into a, a kind of a 
postseason celebration. We'll, we'll get to some other stuff. But Anthony Jones is undeniably one of the contributing factors to the Frogs being 12-0 and in the running back room looking so good. What's been your interaction with him that, that you think has contributed in this larger question of the Frogs exceeding expectations this year? I mean, just look at his track record. How many guys has he developed and sent to the NFL? I mean, all the Cowboy fans, didn't he coach Tony Pollard? Am I am I right in that assessment? I think you are right on yeah, that. So I mean he's he's got he's got the track record of developing running backs, but just talking to um, whether it's Kendra, whether it's Amari, Amani, Trent, they all love the guy. I mean, they all absolutely love the guy. He's just a very personable guy. He he's very good with the media. Um and he just gets the best out of his players. He's never gonna put them in a position to do something that they can't do. And I think that's what's great about a lot of those coaches, not just Jones in particular, but a lot of those coaches on staff, they understand that. They understand the importance of not trying to make a player do uh, something that he's not comfortable with and, or, or that he can't do in, in general. But Jones, I think, is going to be one of those guys, and I hate to say it because it's going to start to make TCU fans pull at their collar a little bit and get uneasy, but – He's going to be one of those guys that some of these programs are going to go after, whether it's going to be in a position as a, a, you know moving up the ranks as a possible OC or moving up uh, as a head coach eventually. But he is a very good running backs coach. Um, and I, and it, it would not surprise me to see him on the list of uh, some of these other programs, some of these big programs. I'm not saying TCU is not a big program. Just saying, some of the some of the other big schools, some of the blue bloods. Uh, 12, 12 and O TCU. I just wanted yeah. to get that in there. Twelve and O TCU. Twelve and O number three TCU. Uh, I wonder if they say thanks for calling twelve and O TCU football offices when they when someone calls up there. They need to. A- a- accounts payable. Nina speaking. <laughs> just a moment. God, you're gonna throw me off with. Oh my gosh. Uh, so anyhow, yeah, Anthony Jones equals good dude. Um, and he's a coach on the rise. There's a lot of coaches on the rise on this staff, and uh, we've we've all seen that with with some of the other programs already already poaching a couple of them uh, before the season season even started. So uh, I would not be surprised if you see some of the guys like you know, especially Ricker Garrett Riley is going to have his name mentioned in a lot of places. I've had some guys from A and M telling me that watch out for Riley at A and M, and people I talk to say, man. There is just no way. There's just no way they could see him going down there. Um, but I mean, it's 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 going to be it's going to be uneasy for some fans because they're those coaches. They've done such a great job. They are going to get approached by some other schools, and I'm not I'm not saying they're leaving. But I will say, if if schools are smart, which some of them are, they're gonna, they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to call Sunny Dykes and they're going to ask if they could talk to the coach about a, a job opening. So sorry to turn this into a, a Debbie Downer thing about Anthony Jones. I'm just trying to give props to the guy because these, these coaches do, um, they, they're, they're just phenomenal guys and they're obviously phenomenal coaches and they're, they're going to keep getting approached. But I know Jeremiah, Jeremiah Donati, he will do whatever it takes to keep him on staff. You know, here's my thoughts on the on everybody coming after our staff or so and so's name mentioned somewhere. If a if a coach gets an opportunity to be promoted, to go from an OC to to a head coach, to go from a position coach to a uh, coordinator, 
God bless you. That's that's great. Jeremiah Donati's job is to make sure that everyone sees going from OC at TCU to, let's say, OC at, at A&M or Auburn as a lateral move in terms of pay and responsibilities and opportunity. So, like, let, let's say Auburn hires, uh, you know, a, 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 let's say Auburn hires Hugh Freeze. Let's go, <laughs> let's say Auburn hires Hugh Freeze, and they say we want Garrett Riley. Garrett, you need to listen. You need to do your due diligence. If any of us had been called about a new job, we would listen. But Jeremiah's job is to make sure that he has every single resource that he's asked for here. And then remind him, you are entrusted with the offense, not eight rich boosters. And so there, there are other places that, that, that may try to pay more or, as they used to say, money whip. But what I love, what I, what I, what I love about Donati thus far is that he hires the best people, gives them what they need, and then says, go prove it. Go make it happen. And so what I know about Donati is when all of these programs start to hover and say, I want this coach, or we're just going to you know, hire him away and give him all the money that he wants, Donati will, will stick to his guns. We've seen that in a lot of ways. But he will also make sure that every coach is given every opportunity to do what they're asked to do. And they may not find that anywhere else. TCU is a great platform in that you, you can be on the national stage, if we, as we've seen this year, and you can also drive 15 minutes outside of town and go get dinner with your family, and no one's going to walk up and yell at you at the table about your third down calls. So that there, there's, there's always some pluses and some minuses about that, which just means more. So I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. So um, whether it's Jones, Garrett Riley, if, if, I was, uh, if I was Tulsa who just – fired Phil Montgomery, you know I'm calling Gillespie, but we just got to make sure that Gillespie sees that as a, as a demotion and not a, not a promotion and, uh, and and go from there. And these boys' job is not done yet. We've got at least two more games to play, prob- you know, hopefully three, and we'll, we'll see what goes from there. Hey, you mentioned Hugh, Fre- you right. mentioned Hugh Freeze. Did you, see, did you see Jerry Kill and the New Mexico State Aggies throttled Liberty? 49 to 14. Yes, I saw that, and I, I was delighted that I saw that. Number one, good for Jerry Kill. Number two, I can't stand Hugh Freeze for, for a thousand reasons, none of which I'll get into here, other than don't quote Bible verses and pay women to have sex with you. That's just the bottom line, as someone that likes to quote Bible verses. I, I'm, I, was, I, just, I cannot stand Hugh Freeze. He's, he's a... I, I can't stand Hugh Freeze. He should not be getting this platform that he's got coming to him. But what I love about Jerry Kill is in the last 13 months, he's beaten Hugh Freeze and Dave Aranda. And that, that that's a couple of uh, stud coaches to, to take down. So I say good for Jerry. Now, you know this better than I do. How many fr- former Frog staff are out there in New Mexico? I think, I think he took about half the staff with him out there. Who's coaching with Jerry that was able to take down the Liberty Flames? Well, I know um... – it was mostly support staff at TCU, but I know like Tyler Wright, he's coaching down there. Um, Tim Beck is the offensive coordinator. He was kind of a kind of did the Sonny Dykes role that he did in 2017 last year. Coach Beck did. Uh, Brian Hernandez is down there. There's there's about five or six of them down there um, that follow that followed Coach Kill down to new mexico state so good for them he's got a he's got a really young staff who's uh tony sanchez 
he's down there. I think he coaches receivers. He was a um, – I don't even know what he really was at TCU. Is this like going to – kind of like Sonny Dykes is like just an analyst, not even an analyst, a consultant or something. I mean, he was just – Yeah, he was like a consultant. But that's the guy that was at UNLV and before that had been at uh, – Bishop Gorman. Bishop Gorman out in, out in, in Vegas. Right. So he's. I mean, they they took they took a lot of support staff down there. Um, there's there's another one. There's maybe two or three that are kind of kind of GAs or just other analysts that are down there. But he he took a couple handful of guys down there to uh, New Mexico New Mexico State with them, and I think they. I want to say they're either five and six or six and six. Maybe five and six. Are, one of their games, I think, got postponed or something. So they might have an eleven game record right now. My understanding is that they're five and six. They had a game canceled, and that they are having a makeup game against Valparaiso this weekend in order to attempt to get bowl eligible. And that if they go six and six, they've got one of those odd bowls that'll be locked in for them to play in. And I say good for the good for the Aggies. That's that's a Aggie that team that will go bowling. You know, people said the Aggies won't go bowling, but they will go bowling. So then you know, New Mexico State, good for you, buddy. Ride or die with Jerry Kill. <laughs> All right, let's pivot. We got two things before we get out of here. Jeremy, you said that we are seeing a recruiting storm. A recruiting storm is coming coming like you've never seen before. Well, that began after Marcus Deal, one of the top 60 players in the country, a lineman out of Garland, commits to TCU. Now, I'm going to I'm going to start with this. He was TCU was high on him and he or more importantly, he was high on TCU long before the Frogs were were in the top 3 of the college football standings. So, Marcus Deal, the Frogs obviously have done a great job recruiting him. They landed him over Georgia and other top programs. Tell us a little bit of backstory about what in, went into landing the highest-rated recruit in this class, and then we're going to do a little deeper dive, and I'm going to put you on the spot about telling us more about this storm that's coming. Well, when I first met Marcus in January, um, I, I talked to him and just what his thoughts were on on TCU – and you could tell the kid was just blown away. He was blown away by what he saw. He had never been on campus. And he really got a great relationship going with uh, A.J. Ricker and Jamarcus McFarland and J- Joe Gillespie. He, the, the coaching staff just really did a great job of recruiting this kid. And you could tell because this kid was coming to TCU multiple times. I can't even count how many times he's been up there. But – I kept trying to tell you guys, some of you listen, some of you don't, because y'all listen to the other recruit Knicks out there. So uh, Texas was obviously in the picture. What a great way for TCU to just go down to Austin and beat and embarrass them in front of arguably their biggest recruiting weekend they've had all year. Um, which, was he was he on the sidelines he, on Texas's dollar when we beat them down there? Yes, he was. He was he was there for a visit. And, and, and all he, glory to Hitmatoad. <laughs> And even even when Georgia was in the picture, and and, and I, I kept hearing it was a TCU Georgia thing, and then people started talking about TCU in Texas. And the one thing I kept telling everyone, well, what's the one constant here? People are hearing it's Georgia, or people are hearing it's Texas, but the one team that's always in this discussion has been TCU, and they're 
toward the end of the process, people started to give him a little bit more uh, chance of going to TCU. And lo and behold, he goes to TCU. He loves the location, loves what TCU's doing. But even before, like you said, Jeff, even before this successful season was going on, he was eyeballing TCU pretty good. And like I said, the relationship with the staff, um, he's close with his family. Um, he's got another brother that goes to uh, Tulane. Um, so I don't think distance played a, a huge factor in this, but it was good that something this great. And that's one thing that he told me. He said, when I first talked to him, he said, I didn't know something this nice was so close to home. Like he, he didn't have an understanding of that. So I, I thought then, man, TCU just hit a home run with this kid. And if they stay on top of him, they're going to have a great chance at landing him. And as the weeks, their days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months, TCU kept staying in the conversation. And lo and behold, guess what? TCU goes out there, they start winning, and they keep recruiting them. And I'm not going to say TCU got them because of their success on the field, but I think when people win, people start talking. When other recruits jump on board, recruits start talking. And and uh, I think what with what has 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 happened as far as the commitments and and the the commitments to come i think a lot of those kids all talk to one another and they start realizing hey there's already this kid committed here why don't i join and if i join this kid's gonna join and if he joined this kid's so it's 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 kind of a, a domino effect but tc's in a great position with a lot of these kids Okay, without making you give a percentage of whether a kid is going to come here or not, which I know you despise, give us three or four names. Who 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 should frog fans that that eat up recruiting like we do keep an eye on as as the you know as we sprint towards early signing day? Of course, some kids will wait till the second signing day. You know, if a recruiting storm is coming and that the, the frogs are are moving up the list of a handful of kids that maybe were a reach, you know, five months ago. Who are some folks that the Frog fans should keep an eye on? Because I am curious. I still say Mikhail Harrison Pilot. Same thing as Marcus. I mean, people started talking about Texas and TCU and Houston being the the schools, then TCU and Houston, then TCU and Texas. You've never you've never heard them list Mikhail's top schools without mentioning TCU. They're the constant there. He's got a great relationship with Malcolm Kelly. They're recruiting him at receiver. That's what he wants to play. Quentin Johnson's a Temple kid. Jared Wiley's a Temple kid. Davion Curtis, which is a GA on staff right now, he's a Temple guy. They're they're you know, obviously Quentin's not going to. Quentin was never like really big into recruiting when he switched to TCU. He did it on Snapchat and said, "I'm signing with TCU on Wednesday." That's how big his whole deal was. <laughs> so he's not he's not going to push Mikael any particular direction as far as you know, when it comes to TCU, but he's. You know, you you talk to people around. He's he's been selling TCU when when Mikhail obviously asks about it, and and same thing with Jared. And Jared's got a great perspective because he spent time down in Austin. And now he's at TCU, so he can he can kind of explain both sides uh, with with that recruitment. Another guy to watch, Javon Thomas. He's committed to Texas A and M, but TCU has stayed on top of him. Uh, it, and it's really no secret he's going to be on campus the weekend of December 9th for an official visit. He did show up to a game earlier this year. I want to say it was Oklahoma State maybe. It was a day game. It's either Oklahoma State or Texas Tech. I can't remember which one, but I literally walked right by him on the sideline. So he was there. And, uh, you know, TCU's continued to talk to him. 
He fits that defense perfectly. He's got good size. He's got two teammates already going to uh, TCU with uh, uh, Stoker and uh, Big Bubba. And you already got another guy with Kyron Chambers already on campus that's doing a, a lot of promoting for TCU. So that's, that's another name to watch. And obviously, if you look at Texas A&M, they didn't have the season that a lot of people expected. And that's opened the eyes to a, a lot of recruits. And, and, and really, you talk to any of those guys down there or read their boards, they feel like there's going to be a lot of kids that are going to hit the transfer portal. There's already one. Elijah Judy hit the, the portal, I think, today. A defensive end that they had a really really big defensive end that was out of the 21 class already hit the portal but um you got other guys like uh trey wilson trey wilson's committed to baylor right now and he's been on tcu's campus multiple times he's really good friends with marcus dill he's really uh good friends with uh ezra really good friends with michael uh abikan uh from from rowlett uh he's he's got relationships there that are already on the on the roster and you know those guys have been talking to him about becoming a frog and someone noted it too i think it was i think it was steve wiltfong that noted that in marcus dill's commitment video trey wilson was in the background so (laughs) that's a that's a pretty good little little good sign right there for tcu and now you know these these guys are friends they go off to different schools but i i think i think trey trey has obviously been communicating with with tcu and I saw him walking around yesterday, so it's uh, it's something to keep an eye on. C.J. Blocker, C.J. Blocker just decommitted from Utah. C.J. Blocker is a guy that uh, Carlton Buckles, literally they had an off day. He goes down to uh, New Caney, sees Blocker, offers him, and comes back to TCU and I think hits practice later that day, but uh, or hit, hits the offices later that day and, and, and does uh, film and stuff. C.J. is a he is perfectly made for this defense. He is when you look up cornerbacks that Joe Gillespie likes, CJ Blocker's picture's gonna come up. He's long, he's got great speed, he's physical, and this is a guy that I told you guys about. I told you guys watch watch what he does because I, I keep hearing that he's gonna be decommitting from Utah and that's gonna be a good sign for uh TCU. And not only for CJ at corner, but if you look at the the JUCO cornerbacks that they're recruiting uh uh, Channing Canada from Tyler JC that kid has nearly 40 offers now everyone in the nation is coming after this kid guess who has a great relationship with that kid he's originally from Louisiana Mr. Carlton Buckles he had a he has a great relationship with that guy Buckles is originally Louisiana guy so there's that tie-in right there Mason Watts another uh Juco Juco cornerback that they're very high on he's starting to blow up a little bit so you've got some guys that could potentially be signing or not not just uh signing but committing um very soon i mean this is december 9th is going to be a big weekend cj is going to be in town and then uh canada and white will come in uh on december 11th through the 13th that week after um during they're doing a midweek visit and and another name randon fontanetti this kid from uh brazosport he is He's good. I mean, I think he's one of those guys. We've got him as a four-star. I think he could be ranked even higher than where he's at right now. I'm not saying he's a five-star by any means, but if you just pop in that guy's highlights and watch him for about three or four minutes, you understand this kid has great side. He's got great ball skills. He's a very smart player. And TCU needs safeties, and they're going to they're gonna want to try to get him. 
in the fold. They're going to have him on campus December 9th and have a great chance to roll out the red carpet for him. So if you haven't figured out by now, December 9th is a pretty big deal. Um, they're going to have some some of their – obviously they're going to have some of their uh, commitments on campus as well, some of those guys that really like to sell the program, which pretty much all those guys like to sell the program. But they're going to have uh, about a handful of the committed players on campus, and it's, it's going to be interesting to watch the next few weeks because – I think a, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, they they want to sign early. I don't I don't know if CJ Blocker if he's going to sign early. I haven't heard yet, but he could potentially be one of those guys that doesn't sign early just because he's going to have a lot of stuff come his way. He's he's the classic, you know. He's he's already rated pretty good, but he's the classic has has a great senior year and teams start to offer or evaluate even more and Alabama I think just offered so it's going to be a challenge for for some of these kids but TCU's in a great great spot for a lot of them that sounds like a recruiting storm is coming I'll just I'll just leave it at that a couple things I wanted to um, that I wanted to draw out of what you said one I love that the Frogs are getting into the the I-20 corridor along South Dallas. Those are places that we have historically not done well in. You think about South Oak Cliff, Cedar Hill, you know, scooping up towards Mesquite. That is a great corridor for the Frogs to get in, get a recruiting foothold in. And also, you know, I, I know that deal is, for, is from Garland, but there, there's just so much talent in Dallas, and I always felt like, the frogs were were running a couple of steps behind. Even, you know, even when we had Zarnell Fitch, who had deep ties to high school football in South Dallas, I never thought like we were getting the hearing that the frogs deserved. And so, when we talk about everything that's going right with this new staff, it's not just that they know how to run bazooka. It's not just that they have depth in the running back room. We're we're getting inroads in recruiting, and 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 the frogs are recruiting at a level they have never recruited at before. You know, this is a high level of four stars. I think the Frogs are ranked number number 19 now, and that's going to continue to move up. As the fro- You know, everybody that you talked about is only going to bump the recruiting ratings up a little bit more. And so if you have a, a 16th ranked recruiting class and then precision on the transfer portal, that's the formula that is needed to compete for a Big 12 title every single year. And so I feel really good about the direction of recruiting. I know recruiting is kind of the lifeblood of our website at hornfrogblitz.com. And, it, and it's one of the things that, you know, during the season it's hard, but we're, we're going to continue to feed you all the best that we have on the recruiting front because that gives you, that kind of tells you where things are going to be in the next couple of years. So really appreciate your update on that, Jeremy. All right, let's flip, uh, switch gears here in our last segment. The Frogs um, are taking on Kansas State in the in the Big 12 title game this Saturday. Kansas State beats Kansas in the Sunflower Showdown. Maybe not the most uh, inspiring name for a rivalry. 47-27. Let's just cut to the chase, Jeremy. What do you expect to see from the Kansas State uh, Wildcats a good this game. Saturday? I mean, Kansas State's a pretty dang good ball club. I mean, they've got a good quarterback. I, I think that's a good thing this time around you didn't know what to expect out of will howard because adrian martinez got hurt and they hadn't really prepared for will howard now they're going to prepare for him they obviously know he could throw the ball around really well Uh, malik knows is i I think probably the most underrated receiver uh, in the big 12 Um, perhaps maybe even the nation i think that kid does so much for their offense uh, Philip Brooks is kind of the same. He's not near as good as Knowles, but 
he does he just makes plays and I'll tell you what the kid that just agitate agitated the heck out of uh, Josh Newton you could tell last night when we talked to Josh Newton after the game that we brought up what he remembers about Kansas State and he remembers Kurt Warner's boy pulling that ball out of his hands when he had a pick and they ended up getting a touchdown and it still irks him but that kid has become a really good player for them he's he is not the flashiest obviously uh he runs great routes and catches the ball but he he can take those little short screen plays and and pick up good yardage he does have deceptive speed so i'm i'm looking forward to that matchup with with those guys uh hodges tomlinson versus Knowles and newton against uh warner and safety play is going to have to step up with philip brooks but it's going to be it's going to be a challenge i mean obviously you look at the last time they played yeah kansas state got out big and then all of a sudden here comes tcu there were some times in the game where deuce vaughn wasn't out there were some times where tcu got a interception when will howard went out i don't think they got any points from that interception by the way but everyone still talks about it but um it is going to be a challenge and I, I predict that it's it's going to be a, a, a close game. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how Kansas State lost three games. I know how they lost to Texas because Kleiman made the worst mistake of his coaching uh, – worst coaching decision he's made this year was not starting Will Howard against Texas because they wanted to save his red shirt. I think Will Howard was obviously directing that offense a lot better than Martinez and, and – uh, it's obviously shown in the last couple games, and he's uh, he's going to be a challenge for TCU to, to defend, both running and throwing the football. Um, and obviously, he's a really good passer. Yeah, I'm going to be curious to see with the Frogs having a week to prepare and even more film on, on Will Howard, who is clearly a you know, a quality quarterback. I, I do think Kansas State would have beat uh, Texas if they had started Will Howard. I, that that I do believe. So I'll be really curious to see how things shake out. I think the Frogs are going to come out focused. Um, you know, as I said, the downfall is that we, you know, we're paying, playing what feels like our 17th straight game against a bowl team, but hopefully everybody's healthy. I, di- I didn't ask you much about health. It seems like we know everything except about Johnny Hodges. You got I have not about, heard about, about Johnny Hodges, Hodges yet. Everybody on? I'm sorry. I know that's why everyone listening and you're slamming the dashboard right now. I just haven't heard anything. Well, I think the Frogs will be relatively healthy. I think it was great for Quentin Johnston to not play. Kendry Meller, get him out of there as soon as you can. Love seeing Chandler Morris in there. So hopefully we'll have a little more health across the board for the game this this Saturday. But I'm let, you know, I'll give you my prediction, Jeremy, and then you give me yours. I'm I'm thinking the Frogs are going to come out focused. It will be you know not a dissimilar final score to the to the game that was in Fort Worth, although it may it may feel a little less dramatic, especially around the comeback. But I I am going to go you know f- you know something along the lines of 41, 28, 41, 31, something along those lines. But I think the Frogs put up 41 points. I think Kansas State keeps it relatively annoyingly close the entire game. But let's just stick with it again. I'm going 41-31, Horn Frogs. And I think the Frogs are going to lock up the Big 12 title and lock up the number three seed in the playoffs. I'm going 38-28. So that's what I got. What do you got for the Big 12 title game? I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be crazy, though, if that was the same score? Um, I'll go... 
You know, um, I was working hard to make sure I didn't repeat the the score from last time, but I, that's why I went forty one thirty one. I'm gonna go. go thirty four twenty seven TCU. All right, thirty four twenty seven TCU. All right, let's let's break it down a little more. Who are you gonna have as the MVP, the of, MVP this game. of this game? Offensively, I'll go with. Kendra Miller. I think Kendra Miller is going to have a good game. I want it to be Max. I want Max to go out there and throw for 300 and something yards. So helps his Heisman hopes a little bit more. Um, defensively, I think Jamoy Hodge is going to have a big game. Give me Jamoy Hodge. I'm going to go with Max, lighten up the scoreboard, putting over 350 yards through the air. Now about 70 of those will come from one of those uh, dinky dunk shovel passes to Darius Davis that he takes to the house. But it all counts in the in the in it all counts with the Heisman voters who don't watch a game but decide get to decide who the biggest uh, biggest award goes to. So I'm going to go with Max on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going with Josh Newton. If Josh Newton is bringing things up unprompted, unprovoked at a press conference around how frustrated he is with that Kansas State game where he kind of got kind of kind of got fooled by uh, Kurt Warner's boy, I'm I'm going to go with uh, Josh Newton not only having a pick six but having a couple of big hits and a couple of big stops. So I think Josh Newton's going to light it up on the defensive side. Even though I I, I also expect a, a big game from D Winners. I think D Winners is going to uh, is going to have a good game. But if you if you really want to boil it down, we need a great game out of Coleman and out of Coker. If they have good games and not just great games, but just good games on pass protection, the frogs are going to hum. If they have a hard, tough game, it's going to be a it's going to be a dogfight to the end. Bazooka 2.0. So I, I you know I, I I'm always impressed and in awe with the defensive line of Kansas State, and so I'll be curious to see what those two guys are going to be able to do to. To, to to give Max a, a pocket, give Max some time to throw. So, we'll, we'll I guess we'll all find out on on Saturday at eleven o'clock with college game down? day there. So, oh yeah, I'm driving down Friday, and then uh, oh yeah, I'm driving down Friday, and then uh, coming I'm I'm coming down on Friday. I got a ticket with a buddy in the uh, end zone second deck. So uh, hold on. Yeah, this is this is great podcasting. I'll tell everybody where I'm sitting. I want you to come by and say hello to me. And so, yeah, I'm coming down to the game. Of course I am. And then I'll be driving back on Saturday after the game from um, Arlington to Memphis and preach on Sunday morning. I'm in Section 221, Row 14, Seat 3. Come find me. Section 221, Row 14, Seat 3. You owe me a beer if you're listening to this podcast. You owe me a beer. Or maybe nachos. I usually don't drink on Sunday because i got to preach the next day. Give me a, some nachos or a, or a brat or something like that. That's what I want. Section 221, row 14, seat 3. I'll have the purple home field TCU shirt on and the TCU alumni well, hat. So, I'll, I, heck yeah, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to get there at seven. I'm going to get there at like 7 a.m. so that we can uh, – Oh, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to be there at like 7 a.m. so I can there. be there for so, game day. So the listeners that. know, I asked Jeff – because Jeff had mentioned to me a, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, um, about sitting up in the press box. And so I get a text from Jeff uh, basically telling me when he, you know, where he's going. He got a ticket to the game, and I said, well, hey, you don't want to sit in the press box? He says, no, I want to yell. So 
everyone know that Jeff, Pastor Jeff, is not going to help me in the press box so he can yell and cheer for his Horned Frogs. I don't need your help, by the way, Jeff. I'm just giving you a hard time about that. But I'm glad you're getting to come down and watch the game. Well, I'm glad I'm getting to come down and watch the game, too. But I will also add, if the Frogs make the playoffs, you're going to need a lot of help. You're, you're gonna. It's just a bottom line. You're going to need a lot of help, and I am volunteering to be that person so that I can um, get out there and just you know just be your assistant. I'll be like Dwight Schrute. I'll be assistant to the uh, managing editor of Horn Frog Blitz. So, yeah, I'm not sitting in the press box for this game because I'm going to scream. I'm sitting with my buddy Guido Climber, TCU class of '91, and uh, his favorite thing to do is take a selfie of the bird and send it out to all his friends that are TCU fans after the game. So we want we want Guido to get a you know, be giving the bird to everybody on a selfie from high above atop Jerry World we- with game day and the frogs making the playoffs. <laughs> A little bit of Can we dream share, for a second? But I don't care. They win. They win. They're, oh, that's they're, what this, they're that's locked what this in podcast is for. They're locked in. They lose. I still see them falling no worse than four. Because I still feel like even if they lose, it'll still be, it'll still be uh, Georgia, Michigan, possibly USC if they win, or Ohio State if they they're not winning. They're not playing. And TCU. So let's dream for a second. Three, they go to Phoenix. Four, they go to Georgia. Which one do you want to go to? A month ago, I would have told you I want to play Michigan and not Georgia. A week ago, I would have told you I think Georgia is more susceptible to a loss than I thought. Today, Michigan looked really good, man. I mean, Michigan looked really good. And, you know, them them knocking off the number two team in the country so convincingly, that's the best win of the year. That's the best win anyone has right now. And so if Michigan you know, wins out and, you know, uh, beats Purdue. And obviously Georgia's playing an LSU team that just got beat by uh, uh, Texas A&M. And they move Michigan up. I am not phased by playing Georgia. I'm not phased by that. And I I would have been, you know, a month, month and a half ago. You know, they did not look good against – they had a rough start and a rough game against Georgia Tech. They did not look – what, they beat Kentucky 16-6? to I mean, that – I am – I am more confident now than I was a month ago that the Frogs can be more than the Big 12 sacrificial lamb, the role that Oklahoma always played, by the way. Um, I'm more confident that the Frogs are going to be able to, uh, you know, put up not a respectable, you know, quality loss. I think they can go in there and beat. I think they can go in there and beat anybody. I'm not saying they they will beat anyone, but I feel good about either one of those teams. I don't want to go to Atlanta and play Georgia. I'll just say that. I feel like that would be as big a home field advantage as possible. I wouldn't mind going to Phoenix and playing I wouldn't mind going to Phoenix playing USC. I wouldn't mind going to Phoenix and playing Michigan. I think we can beat either of those teams. And I think we can beat Georgia. I just don't want to play Georgia and Atlanta. This is this is going to trigger Tennessee fans, but What about you? I think TCU could beat any of those teams. I really do. I'm with you though on the home field advantage for Georgia playing in the Peach Bowl. 
that would be a huge. Now, TCU would travel well. Let's not let's not be mistaken. They're going to travel well no matter where they go. But that would be a huge advantage for Georgia to play in the Peach Bowl, um, or whoever they're playing in the Peach Bowl. That's where they're going to be. Uh, it's going to be an advantage for Georgia. I would, you know, I think I would. There's there's not the greatest of histories with Phoenix and the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but I say, what the heck? I'd rather, I'd rather them go and play against Michigan. Cause here's one thing about Michigan. You're right. That was the best win of the year. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that one second, but I also think that was the best win of the year because they're playing the most hated team that they play every year. That, that was a huge rivalry game for them. They're, they're playing the best they could possibly possibly play against that team and I don't know if they I don't know if Michigan gets up for a team like like uh, TCU or USC as nearly as much as they did for Ohio State I'm not going to say USC because I don't think there's there's just no mathematical way unless I, I think even if LSU somehow beat Georgia they're not going to fall below two um even if TCU wins, I, I still don't. I don't know. I don't know how it'll happen. It'll, it'll be interesting. Wouldn't that be chaotic though? If LSU does beat Georgia, and then Michigan beats Purdue, and then TCU beats Kansas State, and you only have two undefeated teams, does the committee rank Michigan one, TCU two, and then Georgia three, and then USC four, and then you have to play Georgia no matter what, but you get to play them in Phoenix instead of Atlanta? So that that changes a lot of things too. So it's fun, man. It's fun to even be involved in those conversations. It is a heck of a lot of fun to be in those conversations. The real the real thing is what if LSU beats Georgia? Not gonna happen. What if Purdue beats Michigan? Not gonna happen. The most likely is what if Utah beats USC again? Then who's in? That's the real question. Is it Ohio State? Is, is it Alabama? Is, is it Tennessee who has the win over Alabama with the same record but with uh, Hooker you know, uh, out for the season? Do they, do they take that into account? I don't know, but what I know is that chaos could happen. I me- See, I'm so old. I remember when championship weekend was always pure chaos. It doesn't feel like it is that way anymore, and nothing looks like it will be this weekend, but... You know, they never know. That's You never know. That's why you play the games. But I'll, I'll be pulling for Utah. I, I love Whittingham's teams. Those are th- That is nasty, grown man football. So I'll be pulling for there Utah, and I'll be pulling for Purdue. Can't wait. Can't wait to see how it unfolds. Yep. Can't, wait. Can't wait to see how it unfolds. Yep. Sorry, I had a call. That's Coach coming. P calling you. What about Texas? Uh, yeah, it's Coach. Where's he going to coach next year? Because Texas State, uh, Jake Spavitt all got fired. Hey, DP should go be the why not? It's right down the road from Austin. Dennis Franchoni did it. He went back. They say you can't go home. <laughs> they say you can't go home. All right. We're an hour and 15 minutes into this. Guys are right. off the treadmill and they're waiting for this all thing right. to let's, be done let's... so they can go in shower and get ready for work.
All right, well, let's wrap this episode mercifully. Uh, let's get this thing over with. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to this hour and 15-minute episode of the Frogcast. We appreciate your patience. Hey, if you got a chance to get there, go on Saturday. Go to Jerry World. Go to the Big 12 title game. This is the biggest game in TCU history, and there's absolutely nothing that will convince me otherwise. We need as many Frog fans as we can. They're screaming uh, to, to drown out the little brother that wears purple. So, hope you've enjoyed the ride. I hope you've enjoyed this season. The fact is, we've got so much left in front of us to play for. Get out there and support the Horned Frogs. So, until we get back together again, for Jeremy Clark, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to the Frogcast brought to you by Horned Frog Blitz. <laughs>